Hey, Herstory on the Rocks listeners. This is Katie with the Cask Chasers podcast. We're a podcast that brings the world of whiskey to novices, hardcore enthusiasts, and everyone in between. We're in the middle of a six-week-long Women in Whiskey series where we're celebrating the amazing women blazing a trail in the world of bourbon, scotch, and beyond, and sharing their stories. From head distillers, owners, consultants, and CEOs, these women are bringing their unique experience straight to you. Our Women in Whiskey series starts on episode 34 with Widow Jane wherever you listen to podcasts. To find us, just search for Cask Chasers. That's C-A-S-K Chasers. Then pour a dram and settle in for the Cask Chasers podcast. Cheers. Yes, I do. <laughs> what so, did you botch? I didn't even realize it. So I realized it after we recorded last week's episode because, like, I checked the reviews a lot. And uh, last week we had started out with a really great fact about pet rocks. And I was like, for that review that Rebecca DeNaro left. And I looked it up and I was like, Rebecca did not leave that review. It was <laughs> AMG underscore 10, I believe it is. I don't know. That's, a, that person's that's a, name. Alicia. Um, from California. Oh, really? The professor, yeah. Damn. Now sorry. I'm extra sad about it because I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like really ashamed of myself. So I made like a little story post about it today. Um, but just in case someone is screaming at me um, from last week's episode uh, about this horrible mistake, I wanted to correct it. So thank you, Alicia, for the Pet Rock review. And also thank you, Rebecca, for your review. Exactly. Because that Still was a the highly valued thing. review. Rebecca had left a review. That was the most recent one. So that was the one that was like fresh in my mind. Right. But the Pet Rock thing was so fucking funny to me that <laughs> that was also in my mind. So I conflated them. So... Thank you to everyone. Um, if anyone else wants to leave us a review, that would be great. We'll take it. We'll, <laughs> we'll take, take it. it. We'll love it. We will get it wrong on the podcast mm. um, when we thank you. <laughs> and I'll post about it on Patreon, too, because Alicia's a patron. And so is Rebecca. Oh, so yes. we can tell them both. Oh, my gosh. I think they're going to love this story. Yeah. Now they're connected <laughs> forever in the journey of life. Oh. What? Okay. But we're not here to talk about those ladies. No. We're here to talk about other ladies. Because this is Herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we are not historians, but we do have a lot of historian listeners. Yes, we do. And they do tell us when we mess up <laughs> and we're thankful for yes. that. Any corrections are so welcome um, because we, again, are drinking and we do all this research in a week, uh -huh. which sometimes is kind of a breeze. And other times I am at my wits end until the last minute trying to cram everything in and trying to understand the history of like the Crimean War. That See, wasn't actually that was you. That had yeah, to that was that. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think what's funny is the thing that I get most worried about is I'm not going to do this woman justice. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that I'm like, what if I miss the thing? Oh, I know. I feel that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, <sighs> but we don't have to worry about that right now. No, <laughs> you can worry about that. You can worry about that. You're busy being worried. Uh, spring is coming. You're yes. about to like, if, if you're uh, a parent or an aunt or uncle or a grandparent, you're about to try to figure out some Easter baskets or Passover stuff's about to start happening. And it's coming so quick. You didn't even realize it. Absolutely. And right now you're knee deep in fake grass. Yeah. Because that's apparently what we decided 
spring was about fake grass yeah and um, it's terrible so, <laughs> so you don't have time to stop and look no. these ladies up so we're gonna tell you what they look like we're gonna get a little physical physical Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like i am doing junko to buy and she's just like adorable beautiful strong incredible woman mm -hmm. she's a petite japanese woman standing four foot nine there are not many young pictures of her but i saw a couple and there's like one with her and her husband and two kids and one of her um like by herself just kind of like standing out in the wild and she's got these like super cute like poofy cheeks Aww. and like a really round face she had short black hair that's typically covered by a hat to keep her warm mm -hmm. uh almost always in bright orange or red like serious gear okay um and in her older years she wore glasses you'll pretty much never see pictures other than like correlating with adventures oh cool and that is what junko looks like i love a woman who is like known for always being in active gear yeah <laughs> always i think it's so cool like i think that about like professional athletes how like you know you always think of them in their sports gear or whatever and yeah. then when they get to go to like a gala and like wear like a beautiful gown it's like <gasps> what what it's like hermione at the yule ball yes what <laughs> Who are you? Okay. Except your hair was fine curly and your teeth weren't too big. So. No, they definitely weren't. Okay. So I am doing Alice Clement. Um, she is 5'3", full figured, with a round face, dark eyes, and a knowing smile. She has a dark curled bob, which always sits under a fashionable hat. She is always dressed to the nines in fine silk dresses, a string of pearls, high heels and a fur coat she may look cute but don't cross her because she sleeps with a tommy gun under her pillow and can fuck you up with a swift chop with her arm or a slap to the face oh my <laughs> gosh is this nancy wake's little sister apparently karate chopping people <laughs> oh my gosh this is gonna be such a fun story i can't wait <laughs> Wow. Now I'm really excited. So tell me what I'm drinking because I just want to dive in. This, okay. This is a great color drink. It's I like know. mellow yellow is it how I would describe is. it. So this is called the Sleuthess. Uh, it is. I So I based this cocktail off of a Prohibition era drink um, called Dance the Charleston at Breakfast <laughs> because Alice loved to dance and she was always hip on the current dance moves. Uh, I got this from like a, a book called Speak Easy, um, but I tweaked it a little bit. So it's two ounces of gin and ounce of apricot brandy a teaspoon of orange marmalade and you shake that all together and you top it with champagne and you garnish it with a piece of lemon zest Ooh, cheers. thank you cheers mm. i love a drink topped with champagne it's the best who doesn't love a sparkly beverage it's oh, it's mm. so good and it's been a long week <laughs> yeah we're all we're all back in school in maryland yeah. And as I said, not not to make the second Harry Potter reference this episode, <laughs> but I said to producer as I was leaving on day one, I was like, well, I'm going back just in time for Voldemort to attack because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's always fourth quarter. Always fourth Something's quarter. Something's going to happen. Uh, well, we'll see. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Fingers crossed. Mm. Um, but OK. What so, do I know? What do you know about Alice Clement? So. All I know is be only because I looked at our schedule is that Alice is a detective yes. or was a detective. And then because you said Tommy gun and speakeasy and what other word did you say? The Charleston, Charleston and Prohibition. I'm yes. assuming 
She is the uh, 1920s, 30s era. That's absolutely correct. So I'm <laughs> picturing her in a black and white movie in a baggy, non-form-fitting outfit, and I'm here for it. Oh, see, she loved a form-fitting outfit. Oh! She always liked to wear, like, these tight, like, like, like in some of the most famous pictures of her from something we'll get to, um, she has, she loved a big coat, but, like, she liked, like, showing off her curves and stuff. So, yeah, yeah she's great. <laughs> so, there is, like, nothing about her on Wikipedia, which is shocking because she's so fucking cool. Nothing there at all? No podcasts about her, no YouTube videos. I was really upset. Here so it comes. I got pretty much everything from just a couple of articles. Um, Alice Clement, The Female Sherlock Holmes by Abby Norman. Alice Clement, The Detective Who Wore Pearls by Brian Smith. And The Life of an Early 20th Century Policewoman Solving Murders and Busting Prostitution Rings by Erica Janik. So thank you to you. You are heroes of Alice Clement because <laughs> I didn't find information about her anywhere else. Mm. But let's also decriminalize prostitution. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Alice Bush was born in 1878 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And that's all I know about her early life. <laughs> okay. Good to know. In 1895, she married a man named Leonard Clement. But after about 20 years of marriage and three children together, they broke up on grounds of desertion and intemperance. A few years later, in 1918, our girl Alice remarried, this time to a barber named Al um, Albert Falbel. And when they got married, Alice demanded that a female priest performed the ceremony because she's that feminist bitch. Were there female <laughs> priests back then? She found one. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how, but <laughs> for what religion? <laughs> I don't know. She didn't care. She was like a bold and brash feminist. She was like, I am, but she was like, I'm anti-prohibition. I'm pro women getting the vote. Like she is so cool. So like she was a feminist when like, feminist was like the f word yeah yeah absolutely okay okay now it's just like ew really yeah <laughs> but all of this is second fiddle to what is actually going on in alice's life at this time because in 1930 1913 <laughs> the mother of three daughters became one of the first female police officers along with about 10 other women and she would move her way up to becoming chicago's first female detective fuck i was gonna say chicago because that's where al capone is yeah. she's working in chicago yeah stop it but the funny thing is this wasn't her first job for the police department in 1909 she was hired by chicago police to patrol department stores looking for pickpockets since she could blend in seamlessly with other store patrons police figured that she could catch them in the act without drawing any attention because women love shopping yeah exactly <laughs> we love it <laughs> she once caught a whole gang of kids who had played hooky um to go out and pickpocket she said they were like she was like watching them because that was the whole thing she was just kind of supposed to like get information to like you know the security guard or the male police whatever She's on the street exactly so she was like these kids come in every day and from what i can you know gather they're making about 18 to 20 dollars a day which is a lot back then yeah <laughs> um but they weren't but then she figured out they weren't keeping it for themselves she was watching them and she was like she they always give money to these older criminals so these older criminals were hiring these kids because they didn't think anyone would suspect children oh so 
again, she's like ahead of the game. She's like, okay, let's not immediately blame like these fucking children. So the kids let's are like for the bigger problem. They're gypsying for these older people who are like, yeah, they're totally being like taken advantage of. Got it. Um, another memorable instance, she caught a woman who had made a fake hand for herself. She had made this fake hand and attached it to the end of her coat sleeve and she'd gone unnoticed for years until Alice discovered her. Well, how did she... What is she doing to make a fake hand? Is she stealing with this fake hand? No, she would put the fake hand, like, you know, out of the coat. And, and she steal would keep, with her other one. Yeah. So the other one would be in her coat. Stop it. And so she'd, like, walk by, and, like, both of her hands would be out. So why would anyone think she was doing anything fishy? And then she'd reach out of the coat and take things. It's like Matt Damon in that movie. Sure. <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. Remember he would like bump in. Oh, right. Yes. He didn't have a fake hand. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I go to when I think about stealing like pickpockets. Yeah, pickpockets. <laughs> Matt Damon. But throughout her whole career, she always believed in second chances, particularly with those children, she said. They don't realize what they're doing. I've talked to them and shown them the air of their ways. And if they fall after that, I can't help them. A girl who goes astray should always receive a helping hand. Now, no one knows exactly how she made the move to detective, but I can tell you a little bit about how these departments started hiring female officers. So for years, there had been a huge influx of female criminals and child ne'er-do-wells, as we talked about in the Bonnie and Clyde episode. People literally, like, didn't know what to do with female criminals. They, like, didn't believe that women could commit crime. (laughs) So for a long time... Like, they just didn't know what to do with these, like, female women. And they didn't know how to process them appropriately. Um, Which, apparently, they just don't care about now. So, you know, whatever. Really, ever. But anyways, they figured they need some women to help with the lady problems. Uh, Because at this time, Chicago was a fucking mess. It was Prohibition. Al Capone was at large. Jazz music was taking the city by storm. (laughs) And Chicago was literally becoming a den of iniquity. But it was a real Gomorrah. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> but of course, even though the police department absolutely needed these ladies, people were not happy about the idea of female cops. One newspaper reported eight of Chicago's policewomen started work yesterday, and not one of them made a pinch, got into a dispute with anyone, had to tell a crowd, move on here now, or otherwise engage in the burden of a policeman's work. But these are some of the things they did do. They kept still and they listened without talking back. First, excellent voice acting. Thank you. Second, (laughs) I also would not have believed that women would have been allowed to be police officers at this time. Oh, yeah. Because they were barely, I mean, in World War One, which is slightly around this time, they were like allowed to do things for the military, but not like fight in the military. I feel like police officers, first responder. And that's a huge step forward. It is. And and here's the thing is like they were basically just like women who like worked for the kind of like, you know, it, they weren't really like as official as they should have been. Um, and this guy, Chief McSweeney, was a huge known outspoken opponent of this thing. He called it. He always called it the woman experiment. <laughs> and when he got in, he spelled out how things would and would not be for these new women who are earning $75 a month. He a said, month? Mm-hmm. He said there will be no peekaboo waists, sheath or tight skirts or any frills. They will be assigned to the bathing beaches, parks and amusement parks and other places where women, girls and children congregate. Gossip, 
will not be tolerated. The women's only equipment to be carried in handbags was a star, a whistle, and keys to a telephone patrol box from which they can call the nearest station house in any, in, in any case that real trouble arises. I hate that. So basically, like we were saying, like they're technically a cop, but like you're not allowed to have a uniform or a weapon, only a whistle to call in the men. They're like play police officers. Exactly. It's like we're going to let you. It's almost like they're the secretary for the police officer, but on the streets. But they're doing yeah. like the grunt <laughs> But on the beach. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and actually, Chief McSweeney later resigned because he was so disgusted at women being promoted in the police department. He was like, OK, we'll let him in a little bit. And then he's like, you're going to make them detectives and like captains because I can't do this anymore. And he left. Well, you know what? <laughs> Everybody take a lesson from Detective Sweeney. Leave. We don't care yeah, about you. We don't care about you. You know or what? Your Get opinion. on out. Go ahead. Get on out. See you later. <laughs> But Alice did not call the boys in or keep still without talking back. Soon Alice became known as the sleuthess of Chicago and the queen of dramatic arrests as she dazzled people with her furls, her heels, and her jujitsu skills. <laughs> I don't know how she knew jujitsu. I don't know if this was just a thing that people Stop. made up about her, but. Well, you know what's funny? I feel like in the 1920s, um, and I only learned this actually from my perfect little sister. So when she had her 1920s themed 30th birthday party before the pandemic, there was the theme was ancient Egypt because like in the 1920s, people were like obsessed with random oh, shit yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. So like they loved Egypt. So she just themed it after that. Yeah. So it might have been like jujitsu was a thing. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely believe that because like there, this is definitely like around the time of like the over exotification of like the Far East. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. And again, the start of like not treating people um, from Asian countries or Egypt or Africa as human. Right. You know. They're play characters. Exactly. In, a, it's in, like, a, in the world that we own, yeah. they are play characters. <laughs> it's so good to see you They're here. supporting? <laughs> supporting um, cats? <laughs> no, it's totally how people, like, treated it. They're and like, it's terrible. oh, that's so fun. I love it as a costume. But, like, as a culture, mm, not going to respect it at treated all. Treated and treat. Um, okay. So they're... Isn't really much about her personal life, as we kind of said earlier. Um, so we're just going to talk about some really fun stories about Alice solving crimes, sticking up for women, and looking fly as fuck while doing it. Oh, my God. White pants and heels? Like, <laughs> like on CSI Miami? I wish. <laughs> Me, too. Um, now, as we said earlier, the great thing about Alice was that she just looked like a natural high society dame. She used this as a way to gain access into places normal undercover detectives might not be able to go. Uh, in one instance, she went undercover to bust a guy named Joseph Withers, who ran a an quote-unquote acting school, which promised young girls the opportunity to get into the movies. Alice heard that he used this acting school as a scam um, to, like, get young women, like, to, like, scam young women out of money and also sexually assault them. And regular police just, like, weren't really concerned with that. They were like, those women are floozies. Like, we don't give a shit. So Alice went in. So she walks into his office, and he says, ah, the perfect vamp. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Gotta love a vamp. <laughs> I know. And as usual, she, you know, um, like she was instructed by him that if they were going to go any further in the process with her education and career, she would have to buy the essential actress makeup kit because he's not even going to bother if she's not serious about is this. Is this a pyramid scheme? Does she have to get sellers underneath of her? <laughs> now, this is more of like a direct scheme. This is more of like a I will one on rape one you. scheme. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and he was like, but don't worry, I do sell them right over here. So she's like, in my back okay, alleyway, <laughs> check number one. Um, so Alice obliged and then they stepped into the studio so he could get some measurements because the movie department might call and I need to know, you know, whether you fit into the costumes that they're going to have for this movie. So I need to take some up close and personal measurements. And after that, he would help them fix their skirts. So they came up to the knees, which required a lot of up close and personal work. And after this, Alice was so done with it. And she was like, all right, I got plenty of evidence. So she coolly said to him, oh, I'm sorry, but they actually want you down at headquarters. And she arrested him. (laughs) Excellent. Was she at least allowed to carry handcuffs? She had handcuffs. She had a gun. She had real fucking equipment. Okay, good. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Um, but it wasn't just shady men that she liked to take down. Um, <laughs> this is a really crazy story. One day she got called out to this huge fight that had erupted at a local tamale stand. So the owner. <laughs> oh, okay. The, the owner of this tamale stand, Anna, or as people like to call her, Hot Tamale, had just of course. about had it with the men she was employing because they were selling sandwiches instead of tamales. She said, I hired those men to sell tamales. And what did they do? They sold sandwiches to anybody that wanted them. Can I do business like that? I cannot. So I sailed into them. When Alice got there, it had turned into a full-on brawl, and Anna Hot Tamale had whipped out a gun and was threatening to kill everyone. Alice then. Is this like a food truck? I mean, I I don't know. Is it a marketplace? What is, is it in a, Chicago? I don't know. Tamales. And she's so mad about the sandwiches. Where are our Chicago listeners? That's what I need to know. Where are, are you? you? Are, are tamales a thing there? I've only been to Chicago know. once. It was it was quite a windy city. I don't know what else to say about Chicago. The Sears Tower. What else I, is there? Ferris Bueller. I don't know. <laughs> so then Alice pulls, and <laughs> So then Alice pulls out her own gun, quickly gets control of the situation, <laughs> arrests four people, and it's like, all right, guys, it's done. And the reporters loved it because, of course, like reporters are swarming around this, you know, and like they're probably embellishing some of the details. Um, they were like but, jello fight yeah, women. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. They women were throwing tamales in each other's mouths. It was crazy. <laughs> um, just anything to zhuzh the story. <laughs> I love that. Um, Alice also had a habit of taking down shady fortune tellers. She would go undercover and shady have- to her because she doesn't understand exactly. fortunes. So she would go undercover and have her fortune told and then promptly arrest them for scamming people. Hmm. <laughs> Which I'm like, Alice, you're like a little bit of a hater. Like, come on, people like that. Um, but there was one clairvoyant whose arrest made the headlines. So there was a wealthy Chicago heiress who had recently lost her husband. And after she lost her husband, she was having her inheritance drained. I mean, like the newspaper reports, it was a thousand dollars a day and she didn't know where the money was going. 
And after talking to her for like five minutes, Alice discovered that she had been seeing a fortune teller named Mona Allen. And she goes, ding, 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 probably the fortune teller. (laughs) So the clairvoyant knew exactly who this wealthy widow was. So she would have her husband hide behind a curtain and pretend to be this woman's deceased husband. And he would say from beyond the grave that she should tell the fortune teller exactly where their money and jewels were and to bring her gifts and like, Tell them her bank routing number. And like, just all of it is like so crazy. No, not okay. And that's the thing. Yeah. Because there are some people that like, yeah, if you want to be like, you know, do that, do if you want to psychic readings, have the eye, be a seer. We love that. Go. Um, I love all of the like, big neon signs that say psychic readings and I tarot card it. give it to it's me perfect. i want more of it 2 a.m um, after i'm drunk <laughs> i want it i want it i want you to read my palm but don't steal people's fucking money yeah no no, um, no, no. you can you can earn you can earn people's money which most do exactly but don't be fucking yeah. lying and stealing don't be shit greedy don't be greedy um so after discovering all of this alice snuck into this woman's studio she's like all right i'm gonna go in and arrest her on the slide but she literally like got in and she turned around and there's a pistol in the middle of her chest no there's not mona allen is holding her up at gunpoint i mean at least it's not in her back i feel like that's more that's way intimidating because you don't know what's about to happen absolutely you can read someone's eyes usually if they're in calm yep so they meet each other's eyes she has her own gun in one hand she sees the gun <laughs> pointed at her chest. She quickly judo chops the Sears pistol packing fist with the other. Good, good. She goes, then I rushed to the back door and unlocked it. And there I had a trusty sergeant waiting for me. And we made the arrest. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. It's bananas. Um, <laughs> I know I mentioned Nancy Wake earlier, but didn't she do shit like that? Oh, Wasn't she, she karate chopping? And right. Yeah, I feel yes. like we sang a Dalmatian song about it, but she mm. definitely karate chopped people absolutely i'm having deja vu yeah (laughs) um and like and now you can see like why people like loved stories about her and they loved hearing about her pinches which i love that that's what they called like catching (laughs) criminals like she got a pinch that's a Um, pinch yeah (laughs) there's a a trick what are the other words that like people do i don't know cinch who knows yeah um but one of my favorite headlines that was written about her was slap, slap, slap by officer 3428. <laughs> That's her and, badge number? Yeah, 3428. Okay. And this is from a story about Alice who was in the park one day and she approached a man who was severely beating his horse. Like, un, like it was to excess. Um, who? And she walked up to him and she was like, hey, stop hurting that fucking horse that horse is doing literally nothing wait to was it just standing there or was he like riding it and like jockey no he was it? standing there just like hitting this horse in the middle of the park oh that's terrible i know so she told him to stop and she and he goes i'm not gonna stop who the fuck are you and she goes um i'm officer 3428 i am a pol- i'm a detective with the chicago police and he goes i don't believe you no you're not and she was like, yes, I am. And she, like, pulls out her star and he goes, mm, well, you know, it's not illegal anyways for me to hit my own property. So she walked up to him. Surprise, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she walks up to him and she gives him half a dozen swift slaps to the face. Half a dozen swift slaps to the face. That is Six a quote from the newspaper. Six of them. Six Afterwards, slaps. the man said, that dame packs an awful kick in her left. <laughs> 
And I guess he stopped beating his horse. I don't know. <laughs> that was the whole story. She, she just slapped him? Slapped him. I'm going to slap you silly, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was also just a fucking hero. Um, she once jumped into the freezing Chicago like freezing cold Chicago river in her dress and pearls, of course, to rescue some people who were aboard a boat that was capsizing. Okay. This is insane. There were like thousands of people on this boat and like 400 people died. And she's just in the river, like dragging people out and saving lives. It's like Titanic. She's insane. Um, yeah, but also we, we learned in, um, strong like her with Haley Shapley that like a lot of boats would go down and women in like, they didn't know how to swim. They didn't know how to swim because they weren't allowed to do athletics. Exactly. And she was like, fuck you. I taught myself how to swim. I'm going to save these people. And I'm in some trowel. <laughs> I'm some trowel. What is trousers? Wow. Trousers. <laughs> no, she always wore dresses. No. Always cute. Wore dresses. So cute. I know. She was a lady. Swimming in a dress is difficult. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Um, so word really started to spread about this badass lady detective. One paper reported Chicago's champion Sherlock Holmes wears petticoats, lace stockings, high-heeled slippers, and pearl necklaces. She's 43 years old and looks 30. She is a grandmother, <laughs> but looks like a sister of her youngest daughter. Fuck you guys. <laughs> I hate all of that sentence. She sleeps with a gun under her pillow every night, travels with a set of shackles and handcuffs in her dainty overnight bag. She has grappled with desperate criminals of the Middle West and has a <laughs> reputation that a Canadian Royal Mounted Policeman would envy. <laughs> She always gets her man or woman. No. Why do they say that? Canadian <laughs> Because I guess they're so proper. <laughs> they're like trying to compare her to properness. I don't know. I don't know. My number one thing. I have students constantly that they're like, how old are you? And I'm like, oh, I'll be turning 35 this year. And they go, oh, you look like you're in your 20s. And I'm like, that's so rude. <laughs> like, you don't understand what you just said. It's very rude. Um, you know, it'd be a compliment if you told me I look like Helen Mirren. Please and thank you. I want to look 70. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> also, just don't comment about it. Yeah, but like, I don't care because they're middle schoolers. But I'm like, do you understand that the 20 year olds that you see in movies are 47? <laughs> don't you? Don't you dare tell me I look like I'm in my 20s. I don't want any of that back <laughs> Ooh, all right. uh, it's a real insult sorry sorry <laughs> out there to everybody in your 20s you look so great she's 40 and she looks th in her yeah, 30s she looks 30. no she's 40 and she's bomb ass bitch <laughs> but now we're gonna get into one of her most famous cases famous oh we're not there yet cases <laughs> this is a fascinating tale that people say rival an Agatha Christie novel. My and God, let me I'm tell not, you, it does. I'm not this even taking notes. Insane. I'm so into this. I don't even have notes. Okay. Okay. One day, Alice and her partner were called to an apartment on Clement Street where a young girl had died. Her name was Eileen Perry, and she was about 17 or 18. When they get to the building, the janitor met them and said, oh, it's a case of typhoid. This little girl came here about six weeks ago looking for work. She didn't find it, and about two weeks ago, she got really sick. We did everything we could for her, but there wasn't much money, and we couldn't find out where her folks were. 
So her partner was just about to pack up and call it a day. And he said, the girl's obviously a prostitute. And that's what you get from living that type of lifestyle. But Alice wanted to take a closer work, closer look. Nothing looked out of the ordinary except an instrument she saw in the corner. It was a dulcimer, which I'm sure Miss Krista is familiar with. What the fuck is I've never heard of it. It's an instrument popular in the Appalachian Mountains, actually. Appalachia. Appalachia. (laughs) And it appears to me, and it kind of sounds like (laughs) a cross between a fiddle, a harp, and a mandolin. It is a thin, long, four-stringed instrument that Uh you place in your lap, and you play it like... By, like, plucking the things with both hands. Okay. So, it like, when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's that country twang. I know exactly what that is. Okay. Got it. Got um, it, got it, got it. So, Alice picks up the instrument and asks who it belongs to. And the janitor replies, Little Miss Perry, I guess. Alice notices something funny about the strings. They have, like, something on them. Mercury. Like, almost, like, crystallized. And she literally, literally gets out her magnifying glass <laughs> And says, she's a sleuth. I think we need to take this back to the station. Her partner asks, forensic files. What have you got up your sleeve? And she said, a murder case and a good one. (laughs) She did not say it. (laughs) These are quotes, Allie. I copy and pasted. (laughs) Quotes, quotes. I don't know who was there writing these quotes down, but somebody was. They had a courtroom stenographer (laughs) right there, ready to go. Travel stenographer. (laughs) I need one Um, of those. (laughs) It would prove me right in many (laughs) occasions. So while her colleagues back at the lab checked out the dulcimer strings (laughs) under the microscope, what's on? Alice decided. Oh, we'll find out. Alice decided (laughs) to look into (laughs) who exactly Little Miss Perry was. So the reason they had not found her parents was because her father had passed dead. away recently. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't know about her mother, but I'm guessing she's dead too. Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, her father had come into quite a bit of money just before he died when gold was found on his property. When he died, of course, he left the land and all this money to his daughter, Eileen. And this had Alice confused. She was like, if Eileen was worth all this money, why was she staying in like a shitty apartment in Chicago looking for work? Like with all this money, she wouldn't have to work another day in her life. She gambler. <gasps> she gambler. But another thing they got initially wrong was that she did have a job. She wasn't a sex worker. She had been working as a housekeeper for a woman named Mrs. Brent. Who is this woman? Well, Alice soon discovered that Mrs. Brent was the sister of Mr. Perry, making her Eileen's aunt. No way. <laughs> so she's working for her aunt, but, but does she her doesn't aunt know, know. She doesn't know it's her aunt. But does her aunt know it's her aunt? Yes. Huh. So it's around this time that the lab comes back with a startling discovery. This substance on the dulcimer strings is lied, live typhoid germ. And then Alice starts putting it all together. So Eileen did not know that they had found gold on her father's land, and she didn't know that she was suddenly unspeakably wealthy. The only person that knew was her aunt. Who the was chemist. Supposed, <laughs> yeah, her aunt, who was supposed to, like, take care of Eileen. But instead of taking care of her, she kept all of that information to herself and hired Eileen as a housekeeper so she could eventually get access to the money. Mrs. Brent had stolen a tube, of like live typhoid germs like she like was like oh i'm just here on like nice 
high society dame business and she like snuck into like a science hospital center people used to have tubes of typhoid germs yeah apparently i don't i don't know what or and where. how do you put it on the the thing without getting it on yourself a swab yeah, but aren't you touching the swab? What is she doing? So I think it was like in a thing. And then like, I don't know if she like poured it on or just swabbed oh, it she's on. She's using PPE. But, <laughs> but, okay. So she got this tube. Okay. She brought it to Eileen's apartment, which Eileen thought was kind of weird. And she's like, why is my boss paying me a visit? And the bo- and she goes, oh, Eileen, I'm so, I'm so parched. Can I have a glass of water? And while she was away, she took the typhoid germ and rubbed it all over the strings of the dulcimer. Knowing that when Eileen played, she would lick her fingers while playing because she'd have to turn the pages of her music. Oh my goodness! When Alice, why isn't that woman a detective? I know. When Alice confronted her with the evidence, Mrs. Brent's face grew ghastly at the allegation. She staggered forward and then fainted. When she came to, she admitted that the money had driven her mad and that she had indeed murdered her niece by putting live typhoid on the dulcimer strings. So Alice is like, fuck yeah, got my perp. I'm going to lock you up. But before she could be taken to the station, Alice hears a ghastly scream, and she looks over, and she sees Mrs. Brent running over to a desk, and she grabs a penknife, and she stabs herself in the throat, killing herself Right in front of Alice. No, she didn't. She died before Alice could get her to the hospital. Isn't that the craziest story? <laughs> That's not true. That can't be true. Apparently it is. Wow. <laughs> so crazy. 1920s America. I 1930s. know. Get out of here. <laughs> but of course, Alice didn't think it was enough just to put criminals away. She also wanted to make a public statement about crime and the danger that many young girls find themselves in. So she made a movie and starred (laughs) in it, of course, called Dregs of the City in 1918. Alice portrayed herself as the master detective charged with finding a young country girl lost in one of the more unhallowed of the South Side cabarets. So... The whole thing is about her, like, you know, trying to find this girl who's run away from home and is now, like, in this, like, horrible, like, prostitution ring, like, basically being, like, human trafficked, you know? And the whole thing is kind of, like, look, like, this is how girls get into this. It's not that they, like, you know, some people, like, choose to do sex work. And she's, like, and some, it's, like, survival sex. It's, like, it's, like, you get, like, it's not a good situation. So you have to. Right, exactly. Um, and it was meant to give some humanity to girls who find themselves in bad situations. She wanted the film to be like, these girls are people too. Like, you just want to write them off and like call them tramps and trollops and whatever. She goes, but those are people who like have fallen on hard times. And then while promoting the film, she also had girls who she had helped out of that life tell their stories to make it even more real. Like they would do like a little Q and a after the film. It's like a little documentary. Yes. Oh, I know. And this is one of the hallmarks of her career in law enforcement. She was always dedicated to helping young girls out of bad situations, whether it be sex work or gambling or drinking. She was super anti-prohibition because she said it made things worse when people, especially young girls, resorted to drinking in secret. She said they are more likely to get hurt that way. 
You can't make sure a girl gets home from the bar safe if all the bars are underground. Which is like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you mean that like when when we like make laws against things that are like natural, it it causes problems? Yeah. I never would have known. I know. She also traveled all over trying to help parents find their missing daughters because sometimes she was the only detective willing to help. This led her to saving a lot of young girls from prostitution rings, which are again like her early like human trafficking. She also tracked down young girls who like had plans to marry these guys who they'd only known for like a couple of days. And she would literally track them down, like go to the courthouse and be like, hey, hold on a second. Like, are you sure you want to make such a big commitment so hastily? And she like really tried to like just catch them before and be like, I feel like you're just caught up in the moment. Like, is this guy a good guy or is he 45 and creepy and you're 19? Yeah, but they had to get married. I know. Ah. But not everyone appreciated what she was trying to do for the women of Chicago. There was a new sheriff in town, or I guess <laughs> superintendent chief of police. I'm new in town. Um, <laughs> a man named Charles Fitzmorris, who didn't like that this woman was stealing the thunder of the entire Chicago Police Department. So the first thing he did was he banned her movie from being shown anywhere in the Chicago. Well, that's stupid. It was propaganda for the police department. He literally was like, it gives Chicago a bad name. There's not actually that much crime here. And it makes people think that this is a dangerous city. There really is that much crime there. I know. It's like, meanwhile, Al Capone is literally running the entire city at this time. He is at large. (laughs) And Alice took it to court. She said that she was trying to deliver a moral message. She wasn't trying to, like, like talk shit on Chicago at that time. She was like, I'm trying to help people. Mm. But, of course, juries typically side with men, and Fitzmorris won. And her film was banned in Chicago. But she said, okay, I'll just take it on the road. And she took, like, three months off work to just travel around the U.S. and screen her film, which apparently was a huge success. <laughs> but... Over the years, there were fewer front page stories about Alice and more lawsuits from men who said that she was entrapping them. She hated mashers, which is a term back then um, for disgusting men who harass women. So she would go to the movie theaters looking super cute and she would arrest men who were being really inappropriate towards her because she knew that if they were doing it to her, they were doing it to other women as well. But these men were almost always acquitted because they claimed that she was the one who was approaching them trying to rub knees. And again, juries tended to side with men. So, well, a jury of your peers. Exactly. Because remember, like women had only had the right to vote for like not at all. Not. Yeah. What year is this? Uh, I don't. So I think around like 1925. Okay. So four years. Yeah. Women could that. vote at that. So around 1926, Fitzmorris is really sick of Alice. And he's like, you know what? I am demoting you. And she goes from being a detective back to a regular policewoman. She gets her badge taken away. She gets her gun taken away. She's like everything that turn like. Turn in your badge. Yeah, turn in your badge and your cuffs. <gasps> and to the surprise of everyone, Alice didn't fight back. For the first time in her life. She just did it? She just took it and just went back to doing desk work and, like, didn't really say anything. And people were confused. 
they were like, Alice, like, why aren't you taking this to court? Why aren't you doing something about it? He like fired you for no reason. But it all made sense a few months later when Alice finally came clean. She had been suffering silently from diabetes for years. Wow. And it was getting much worse. The department had no idea. Her friends didn't know. Her family didn't know. Like her husband, her daughters, nobody knew that she was dealing with this. And soon the once ruthless, energetic detective was confined to a wheelchair. (gasps) As a patient at Cook County Hospital, she wore dark rimmed granny glasses and a shapeless hospital smock. In one photo, she sits looking down hands folded across her lap in a wheelchair. Just 48, she looked 80. Wow, and we knew so much less about diabetes then. I know. It's so treatable. I know. By December, she knew that it was almost over, and she asked to just go home to pass there. One of her friends on the police force came to visit her, and she said, pray for me, Bill. I won't be here long, and I can't go to church to pray on Christmas. And on December 26, 1926, Detective Sergeant First Grade Alice Clement died at home at the age of 49. Her funeral was a large event with almost the entire Chicago police force in attendance, including every single female officer who had dreamed of following in Alice's footsteps. But even though she should have given all of the she should have been given all of the honors of a former detective, her gravestone lay bare. Nothing was on it. Mm. Unmarked grave. And like many women of importance, her story just kind of faded away. Her family didn't even know about all the things that she had done until they found boxes and boxes of newspaper clippings, clippings in the attic. Her grandson, Doug Lind, who found the boxes, was inspired to become a police detective himself because of his grandmother. Without knowing any of what I just said, he just knew that she was the first female detective. And he was like, wow, that's cool. I want to be a detective too, like my grandmother. And literally years later, he finds all the stories of all the arrest and like pinches and whatever that she did. He had no idea how cool she actually was and he said it's really sad when you think about it she really had a time when she was in her heyday she was front page news she deserved more but i think we can say that even if it's not directly linked her legacy has inspired generations of badass lady detectives who can catch bad guys and look super cute while doing it and that's the story of Alice Clement. I'm so glad I know about her. I feel Isn't so Isn't she sad. so cool? I mean, it's such a, it's so hard to see somebody, and it's always hard to see somebody immobilized towards the end of their life, regardless of their age. I, It's just, it's hard to see and think yeah. about. But like, for somebody so young I and know. somebody like so adventurous mm-hmm. to like further imagine that happening to them is very sad. That's super sad. So I don't know. I just like and I wish there was more on her. Yeah. I just couldn't believe that like no one talks about her. This makes for a great movie. It does. Al Capone era. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You can make a couple of love the Roaring Twenties. They love it. It would be great. (laughs) So so that's it. 
That's um, so cool. Are you ready for more cocktails? I am. All right. Let's we'll do be it. right back. Are you ready for another drink? I'm ready. It looks mountainous and frosty and foamy and delicious. Well, it's good. This is called an Everest 36. And it is a half an ounce of vodka, a half an ounce of coconut rum, which I used Malibu, of course. Of course. Um, And then a half an ounce of heavy cream. And then you shake that all together really well. And you could put it in a blender, but I just did the crushed ice thing on my fridge. And then after that's all in a glass together, you dump a half an ounce of Kahlua on top. And then... I decided to just sprinkle like granulated sugar, but you yeah. can also sprinkle confectioner sugar Ooh, on top. Yeah. You get to choose. Um, and it's just so mountainous. <gasps> Cheers. Cheers. Sorry for that break. We're trying mm. not to spill. Yeah, these are filled to the brim, but mm-hmm. so delicious. I didn't expect, I was really worried about the vodka Malibu Kahlua combination because they seem so different. Mm. They work like magic. They do. I think the coconut complements both so well. I feel 100% more wasted now. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. There's a good thing there's this much ice in it. Yeah, we're going to have to (laughs) chew that water. I just like, it's so tasty because I know there's heavy cream in there in here, but it still feels kind of light. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is, but it is so good. I really, really like it. And it's not, there's no chocolate in it. So it's not yeah. much slidey. It's yeah, very it's separate from that. And it doesn't even really taste like a white Russian. Like no. it just, it tastes like its own thing. It tastes like an, an Everest, Everest 36. 36. <laughs> That's what it is. Classic cocktail. This is why we're writing a recipe book. <laughs> Everest 36. Okay. Okay. What do you know about <laughs> Junko Tabai? Okay. I know that she was the first woman to climb Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I don't know anything about her. I don't know why she climbed Mount Everest because it sounds like a fucking chore. First woman to summit Mount oh, Everest. Summit. Okay. What does that mean? Well, make it to the top. Okay, make I'm it sure to the top. I'm sure there are a okay, lot of, it. and also well, yeah. like a lot of sure that women that bait. climb it oh, all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so summit. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Tell me about her. <sighs> well, here are my sources. <laughs> I used a lot of Wikipedia. There's several articles on her. And then the podcast, I Don't Know Her, that does a similar thing that we yeah. do. I really like I them. I love that show. They're very, very good. They're more sober. They both yeah. pick a woman and then they both tell a story. So mm-hmm. it's very, very similar. And I really like it. Yeah. So if that's something you're interested in, check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so Junko Ishibashi was born September 22nd, 1939 in Mirahu, Fukushima, Japan, which is 140 miles north of Tokyo. So she's living real rural. This is like very, very rural. She's the fifth of seven children. Her dad is a painter and she's considered a really frail child. Okay. She's small, like small, small, like in adulthood, she's four, nine. Yeah. So very tiny. And other people see her as very weak, but as she grew, oh, and like in terms of rural, her family is like 
in poverty in Japan. So if you think about her being born in 1939, that is like the precipice of World War II. And if do you remember the story we did about Yoko Ono uh-huh. where they were like starving to death and yeah. like dragging their suitcase behind them? And that was a rich family in Japan. Yeah. They have nothing. Mm. It, it's like it's really really bad their town doesn't have electricity it doesn't have water um they don't have any of the basic comforts in life but she is going to school which is great so at the age of 10 she went on this class climbing trip to mount nasu which is about six thousand feet american feet <laughs> we will not translate that to I, meters. I don't know what it is but it's i will not and 6, i won't not. feet <laughs> cancel me if you want <laughs> for the first time ever she got to the top of this you know mountain and is in all of nature and do you remember an experience like that when you're just like what the fuck that's gorgeous yeah when i saw the himalayas i was like fuck i was like that's insane i was like pretty far away from them and you can can, can see them from like really far away but yeah i remember yeah being just like that's insane also the grand canyon of montana of yellowstone that's pretty fucking cool yeah i was gonna say the grand canyon in general gorge any gorge is gorgeous the layers of rocks unbelievable it really is unbelievable when you see you know a mountain a gorge a river a waterfall and you're just not expecting it and you're like well damn honestly literally when i just like walk through double rock park in parkville and see like we have this just little park where like we all played when we were kids. Yeah. But then, like, you go, like, down the stream, and there are just these layers of, like, cool-ass rocks, yeah. like, down in a waterfall. And you're like, why is this just here? Yeah, like, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I totally know that feeling when you're like, I don't even deserve to be seeing this. Right. And she's feeling that way at 10, which means she's definitely ten. mature. She's yeah. 10 years old. She's feeling it. She sees these beautiful rocks and these hot springs and there's a chill in the air. And it's something she's never encountered. She also really starts to love the idea that climbing is a non-competitive sport, which is very encouraging to women because they often feel like competitive sports pit them against one another when they're already pitted against the other gender. And then... She really just loved nature. She liked reaching the summit of a mountain and looking around. So even though she loved it, as we all know, climbing is a very expensive sport Mm -hmm. with a lot of very fancy equipment. So her family can't support this hobby. There's no way. She's living in, you know, the poorest of poor rural Japan. So she barely climbs through junior high and high school. Occasionally on a field trip or on a weekend, she might be able to walk on a hiking trip, but not like real climbing. Then Junko got into college, which was rare for girls in her area. Not many women or girls even went to high school, let alone college, where she Mm. was from. So when Junko went to college, she attended Shua Women's University in Tokyo. And she was a student in English and American literature. There's a fire outside. Do you hear that fire truck? Yes. Wow. Is Santa here again? (laughs) is one of my many chimneys (laughs) um no so okay she's a student of english and american literature so she's doing like brit lit 
in school. Her plan was to be a teacher, but she really struggled going to college in Tokyo. She was just embarrassed. She was poor. She had a country accent. She didn't fit in with like the women of Tokyo and she didn't like herself. It's not necessarily like she was bullied, but she wasn't like the talk of the town, you know, in Tokyo. Yeah, no, I totally get that when you when you just feel like a fish out of water and you're like, Okay. It also, it kind of sounds to me like imposter syndrome. Like she's like, I'm too poor to be here. Like this is a thing where better girls from better families come Mm -hmm. because that's how it feels when you get into like a new elitist environment. It's like, why should I be here? I'm faking. Fuck off. You totally deserve to be there. And it's like, and that's what I think is so upsetting about imposter syndrome is that like it affects I think it affects everyone in some capacity and I and I think sometimes it's easily identifiable and other times it's not and I feel like that's kind of what was happening to Junko here like she's like I you know I got in by mistake I don't deserve to be here like I'm just pretending to be like them and I know that I'm not and especially like I think with people around you Um, I know this happens a lot in the United States when a woman is hired or a person of color is hired. People are like, oh, well, they had to make a spot for you. Right. Then it feels even worse because you're like, oh, my gosh, like whose spot am I taking? Did I actually deserve this? Did they boot somebody who's more? you know, more qualified because of me. Right. Like, you oh, just I'm feel the terrible. token poor kid, like yeah. or whatever. Like, and that's how she felt. She just didn't, she just didn't feel like she fit there. But then she did meet another woman who also liked to climb and they would just leave university on the weekends. Mm. They would leave and they would go around Tokyo and all around Japan and just climb mountains together. And then she's like bopping around college and she finds out there's a male climbing group, like a club. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm so jealous. I want to have a club. But of course, there's not a female club. So she goes and she kind of joins this male climbers alpine club and says that climbing with men can be frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Like many things. I know it firsthand. <laughs> I know you are I, a climber. <laughs> yes. Tell us. I I feel this so hard. Like there was literally a guy who got to, he had to be banned from my climbing gym because I don't know what Junko's about to say, but he made it into such a competitive, like macho thing. And it was like, if you can't climb V8s, like you don't even deserve to be here. And it was like, and he would just, like, be a jerk about it. And, like, in front of, like, people that are trying it for the first time. And in front of, like, kids. And it's like, well, now I just don't want to be here. Now I feel like I really don't belong because, like, you're shaming me because it's, like, a thing. So there is – okay. There's a thing at the gym when, like, you're trying a climb and, like, you know, I climb, like, fours and fives. And, like, I'm working on that. And, like, that is, like, a piece of cake to somebody like this. Like, that's, like, mm-hmm. a V1. And – Like, they're working on something else. And sometimes, like, men like that will just come over and do your problem in front of you just to, like, make you feel bad. And you're like, 
thanks for that. Like, yeah, I know it's like, I know what to do. I just can't fucking do it right now. It's like, it's not like I need beta right at this moment. Yeah. It's okay. Yes. And also Tess totally knows what I'm talking about because Tess is also a climber. Um, and I think also, I, I also honestly think that sometimes men do this and don't understand that it is with like malintentions. Right. So like, for example, like I have started doing P90X because I was mm-hmm. like, my cardio is not working anymore. I'm getting older. I want to add some weightlifting to my cardio. Yeah. But some diversity. I, I struggle with pull-ups. I've always struggled with pull-ups. We have a pull-up bar, but I just can't do them. I don't have big back muscles. I never have. So producer got me like these rubber bands that you can like put your foot in that like help pull you back up. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, look, I put one up, do a pull up. And I was like, I don't want to do a pull up in front of you right now (laughs) because I can't do a fucking pull up. And then we had this whole like back and forth where he was like, I don't understand why you're uncomfortable about this. Right. It's like, I don't care that we've been married for like 20 years. I don't want to do a pull up right now. Like stop (laughs) trying to make me do a pull up. (laughs) so uncomfortable. I just, it's so weird. Yeah. That's the whole thing. It's kind of like, they're like, why don't you just do a toe hook here? And then like, like, da, 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 da. and you're like, because I'm really bad at toe hooks. Cause I broke my big toe a couple years ago. Okay. Back like, off. Back off. <laughs> yep. So and again, Jinko I also <laughs> want to clarify that it's not like I'm shaming people for doing warm ups in front of other people who can't do like, or are working to climb. This is like a specific situation where like, they do it to shame you. Yeah. Um, totally different. Cause like doing a warm up, it's fine. Like, yeah, yeah. whatever. Like do that. Do what climb. you have to do. Do what you have to do. What did Junko say about that? I'm very curious how she, uh, felt about the male climbers. <laughs> so some of the things that she hated at this point is that a, it's a male dominated sport. Mm-hmm. You know, the hobby of climbing was not for women. And she was questioned yeah. all the time. Everything she was going to do, every decision she was going to make, why she was there. Um, People believed the only reason women climbed was to find a husband. So <laughs> the classic, <laughs> classic mystery VMRS. Am I right? Come on. And then <laughs> men would refuse to climb with her because they were like, well, I don't want to marry you if you're a climber. So I'm not going to climb with you. And she's like, when we get to the summit, I'm not going to propose. She, okay? she was just like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like this makes no sense so like she just hated it because she just wanted to climb yeah well and i do also want to say really quick that like it's like obviously like not all male climbers like yeah usually it's a very like fun and inclusive like environment environment um (laughs) although i was definitely poached when i was like 16 um by somebody anyways pa pa (laughs) top out of here um (laughs) okay i'm so sorry no go you're the climber i don't know anything about this it this is a problem i did though, one pull up i'm once going to intervene with a rubber band too much uh-huh and also <laughs> second story it's fine um okay and it wasn't her goal to meet a man but but she did <laughs> but you always do you always do <laughs> um she's on this really dangerous climb at one point on mount Tanagawa, I believe, and she met her future husband, and he was not a college guy. He, like, didn't seem to be, like, headed for some, like, big fancy future, and her mom and family at first did not approve of him, but she was happy to have found a man who not only liked what she liked, but supported her climbing. He wasn't like, yeah, let's get married and now quit climbing. They were like, okay, that's a cool thing that we can do, and I like that you do that. Yeah. 
and it was great. Oh my gosh, couples that climb are so cute. Couples <laughs> that do any like sort of thing together, whether it's, it's read so or puzzle or, or ride run, dune buggies, whatever you want to do, surf. <laughs> so cute, so cute. I love it. So they got married in 1965. She was like 26 or 27, so like a great age to get married. By the mid, depending on who you are, <laughs> by, by the mid, I was like seven. That's <laughs> true. I was a child at Jake and Allie's wedding, was, and so was Allie. Uh, we, you had a broken arm and braces. And I, <laughs> no, I Allie, this was it. so early that I was pre-braces. Oh, I hadn't gotten my braces my yet when you got married. God, Because my teeth are fucked. And I was really upset about it. Oh, um, well, they're better now. <laughs> By the mid-1960s, she had scaled all of Japan's highest peaks, including Mount Fuji, and even the Matterhorn in the Swiss Alps. And still, many men in the climbing world treated her with disdain. (laughs) So she started to develop a dream of a team of all-women climbers going to the Himalayas, which are obviously the highest mountains in the world. And I know we always think about, like, Everest and K2, but like the top 10 highest mountains in the world are all in the Himalayas. Oh, yeah. All of them. Oh, yeah. That's like a real big old plate Just crash. Opposite of a gorge. Right. <laughs> An anti gorge. It's a gorge, yeah. gorge negative. <laughs> so as. She graduates from college. She decides she's going to form her own women's climbing club. And their goal was going to be to summit Annapurna in the Himalayas. The club's slogan was, let's go over, let's go on overseas expeditions by ourselves. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. That's a slogan? (laughs) Um, All right. Junko, maybe. Let's um, go on. Maybe. Maybe slogans are not your forte, but that's okay. That's okay, that's girl. That's more of a jingle if you um, sing it. I think you should have invested in puns. Um, <laughs> puns really make dreams come true. Maybe time to climb. <laughs> that's a, that's a good time song. to climb for us, but use the letter for. Kind of yeah. like, <laughs> have you ever seen that Avril Lavigne thing where she's like, now I know that it was kind of a bold move to go with an eight. Skater boy. Skater boy. <laughs> But we thought that it was like, you know, a really bold move that, you know, it paid off. (laughs) People have been doing that on their AOL accounts for 700 years. (laughs) And 12-year-old me was like, yes. Yeah, you're so wise, Admiral. I can still sing every song off of her (laughs) debut album. How could you not? If you're not doing it, you're (laughs) the All right, everyone hates me. Please continue. Are you kidding? People only... (laughs) This is why people listen... (laughs) I think if we just told stories, we would immediately lose all of our subscribers. <laughs> it is true because, like, there are podcasts. I'm like, yes, you have facts, but there it is so bland. <laughs> like, <laughs> looking at you, Parcast Network. Wow, I'm sorry. Wow, out. <laughs> Good thing we're independently produced. We're always like, thanks, Rob. I also agree with that statement, but I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> But this person is. I'm not a historian, but I'm a fucking alcoholic. (laughs) But not to make light of it. So (laughs) she, that's her club slogan. Please. Please. At the time, um, 
that you had to, if you started a group, be part of the Japan Mountaineering Association, and you had to get a recommendation from them to get a permit to climb in the Himalayas. Okay. You really do. They don't want people to just, amateurs, to just go and die. Absolutely which is, not. Which is so important. But all of the JMA are, is, are men. Everybody's yeah. run by men. Absolutely. All of the climbing clubs are men. So they submit their to get a permit three times before they get approved yeah. to go to Annapurna. And they are, like, ready to do it. It's 1970. They go to Annapurna to climb. The climb is led by Junko. On Wait. The, Led by oh yeah because she's the, the leader this is her group okay she's the leader of the climb Fuck yes she's in her bell bottom she's ready to go oh she's got it she's got it on the mountain they become the first both Japanese and female group to cut a new path <gasps> on the side of the mountain unheard of women have never done that Japanese people had never done that they cut a new path to the <gasps> summit that's so hard. It is really hard. And the temperatures are so low on Annapurna that the the film in their cameras shattered. <laughs> uh, their gear is super. Picture, it didn't happen. <laughs> Where's your Insta? Um, the gear is super heavy. They're suffering from severe altitude sickness. I was about to say alcohol sickness. Altitude sickness. And they don't want to admit it. They don't want the men who said they couldn't do it to know that they couldn't do it. So they forge on. And on May 19th, 1970, they summited the peak of Annapurna. And obviously, like I said, first female, first Japanese team to ascend this mountain. I can't believe that they just forged a new path. That's incredible. It is. And Junko learned something on this trip. And she taught it to her entire group. That mountaineering is in direct opposition to traditional Japanese culture. She and these women had to learn to talk about what they needed and to talk about what was paining them. And they had to accept asking for help, which is not something that any of them were comfortable doing. So they were learning yeah. lessons. You, the, the Himalayas is the last place you want to learn lessons, but I, here they were. Well, and I just feel like, I'll, like that. It's like so many people and cultures have problems with that of like, you're like, you know what? Yeah, like, <laughs> I need help. My toes are falling off. Like, right. I need to do something I'm, about I'm this. very cold. There's no yeah. air to breathe. And no, my absolutely. And brain has no oxygen. Please help me. So after this, they set their sights on Mount Everest. Inside her big climbing group, they create a small climbing group called Japanese Women's Everest Expedition. It's 15 women. They're mostly working women. They're teachers. They're counselors. They're nurses. A few are homemakers. Two of them had children. One of them is Junko. She worked as an editor for the Journal of the Physical Society of Japan to help make money to do this. In 1972, she has her first child, a daughter. But getting a permit to climb Everest at this time is hard for anyone. But this is a group of all women trying to get a permit to climb Everest. They had to wait five years to get approved to climb five Everest years. five years oh and there God. is legality and climber scheduling and super strict requirements and all that stuff but mostly it's that they're a group of women that want to climb Everest yeah they could get permits though to other mountains they had been offered permits like in exchange they're like you can't climb Everest but climb this Junko turned them down every time because she felt that if they weren't training for Everest then they weren't doing the right thing because if you Except a permit for another mountain, you change your training to that mountain. 
what's the altitude? What's yeah. the angles? What's the climbing style? So she was like, no, we're not going to give up on Everest just with because you're passing us this other mountain. It would be like changing your major just to get a degree. She's right. Like, no, I don't want to get a degree. I want the I degree. I want to get a degree in biology. Right. She's like, I don't. Yeah, that's so. I also never thought about that because like I'm like, yeah, like climbing is climbing is climbing. Like, you know, climbing mountain. But like. You know, not Mount, for her, but it's so true because like Mount Kilimanjaro, like you start in a tropical jungle yeah. and like you go up to like the Arctic, yeah. like, you it's know, hard. E- it's true. Every mountain is different and every mountain is unique in its own, literally like the path up. You have like, to study. You have to yeah. study what have previous climbers done? What do the indigenous people know? Yeah. Who am I going to have there to help me? Where's base camp going to be? Am I going to need oxygen? Am I going to yeah. need mosquito nets? Like you have to know all of these things. And she was like, we're not going to train for any other mountain. The two women with kids in this group were told constantly that they were bad moms. They, by who? By the culture in general because everybody knew that they were like trying to get to Everest people disapproved of them they said you should be at home raising your children you should not be doing this her husband obviously is very supportive and the other problem with going to summit Everest is that it is hugely expensive yeah most male climbers get sponsors but no one wanted to sponsor these women she convinced one TV news station to sponsor them because she was like, look, if we actually do it, you'll get the first rights to the story. Oh, my God. And they were like, OK, we'll give you like a little bit of money. But they weren't paying for the entire trip. So each girl going on this trip had to come up with one point five million yen, <gasps> which is about five thousand dollars, 1970 money, which is a year salary in Japan. So it's about thirty to forty thousand oh dollars per woman. That's so much money $40,000 per woman just to go on this trip and you don't know if you're going to succeed and that's in the 70s in the 70s so that's insane it's so so much money money and she's not only working as a you know editor for this journal she's also like teaching piano lessons on the side to like help save money to come up with things. And then she's like, okay, we got to do something else. So they start going to junkyards and finding cars and they take the seat covers and are making themselves waterproof pouches for their food out of the seat covers. And they start making gloves out of the seat leather. (gasps) And they start, she like orders feathers from China and then like takes the car cloth and makes sleeping bags because they don't they don't have REI sponsoring them they have to like make everything to get up this mountain it's you know what it's so funny I feel like this is so reminiscent of last week's episode on Grandma Gatewood where it's like again just like these people who like didn't have the one-stop shop of like the outdoorsy store of like you need fucking gloves. This is the store to get your outdoor gloves to go on your outdoor climbing trip. And there's someone who knows exactly what you need. I that is so bold. Again, like I think everything I do is wrong. So like I can't even I, I would never trust myself to be like these gloves are fine. Ever. <laughs> I got it. I got <laughs> it. <laughs> For the tallest They'll mountain, be fine. It's I mean tallest mountain above sea level. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, oh, come on, God, come on. And the women in the group that were teachers, their students started saving their like jam and jelly packets from their <laughs> lunch and would give them to them. And they took them on the mountain so they would have like a sugar rush 
like if they were like down and out, they would like suck in the jelly packet. Like, you know, when you're running like a race and people offer you stuff. I know the theory of what you're talking about, but I've never experienced it because it's I'm insane. not that active. <laughs> <laughs> well, it works. It works. It's like Gatorade. <laughs> Electrolytes. It's what plants crave. Um, <laughs> but it's what plants crave. <laughs> so, I've never seen that movie, but I know all the lines. I just think it's, <laughs> Watch it tonight. I can't. It's too depressing it's for what we're actually so at in American funny, culture. It's funny, though. Oh, <laughs> Terry <laughs> president. It's great. That's so better. <laughs> So anyway, it's great. The kids are supportive. It's like, of course, the eyes of children are like, my teacher is so perfect. Let her climb this mountain. I'll give you my jelly. <laughs> I think that's so sweet. Jam tomorrow, jam yesterday. <laughs> but always jam for you. Stop. Nobody knows what I'm referencing. Stop. It's the bear jam book, right? No. no that's what I was going for. Carol Channing in the Alice in Wonderland made for TV movie Ugh. where she sings an insane song where she's just dancing. It's like jam tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never ever jam today. And it's like just the whole fuckery of never or like Wonderland where it's like that doesn't make any sense, Carol. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, so sorry. I'm she's Tweedledum, Tweedledee. She's all of it. She's all of the dumbs Carol and Carol Channing is a lunatic, and I love her. <laughs> I hope she hasn't done anything bad. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> we can all be canceled for anything now. <laughs> so in 1975, they get their um, permit, and they go to summit Mount Everest. Mm. They go with a TV crew and journalists and cameramen and support climbers and base camp doctors and... Of course, porters, which is what we would call Sherpas, but porters is the correct word for the extremely skilled and educated navigators of the region. And also, let's be clear, they're an all-female climbing crew, but there are a lot of males in the whole, like, setup. So that's just the way climbing is. You have an entire group of people that are going to get you to that point. Some people are like, I'm going to carry your stuff. I'm going to show you where to go. You know, you can climb on this day. If the wind is like this, X, Y, Z happens on this half of the mountain. It's really icy this time of year. All those people are important. You need those people. Climbers, they decide to follow the path of Edmund Hillary, which is what it's named after instead of Tenzing Norgay, his porter. And he is the first man to summit Mount Everest, Edmund Hillary. Quote unquote. With <laughs> Tenzing Norgay. <laughs> Tenzing Norgay. With it his, should be the Tenzing Norgay Pass. <laughs> is what it should be. It yeah. should be the Tenzing Norgay Pass, but it is the quote unquote Sir Edmund Hillary Pass. So I'm sure he was just like at the top, like looking at me like, good for you. Been there. <laughs> Been there, done that. You fucking asshole. <laughs> just do it, Nike. Okay, put your British flag in there, whatever. <laughs> do it. Go ahead. <laughs> fine. Fine. Don't put the Nepal flag up. That's it's fine. fine. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> So the climbers are going up that path. The expedition starts pretty smoothly. 20,000 feet up the mountain. They're doing great. They're sleeping in their tents. And then around midnight, an avalanche begins. (gasps) No, my biggest fear that I'll never have to face because I won't put myself in that situation. (laughs) No. Well, the avalanche buries (gasps) all of them. (laughs) Allie, stop. An avalanche? An avalanche. Like, serious avalanche. Junko is tangled up in her tent. There are four other climbers (gasps) and guides on top of her. 
Everybody's covered in snow, tangled in their own tents. She's pinned down. There's chunks of ice on her face. And another woman's hair had, like, gotten across her face, and she's suffocating because of it. So this hair is, like, suffocating her in her mouth. She is unconscious for six minutes. I can't even look at you. It's it's horrifying. She goes unconscious for six <gasps> whole minutes. Like, her brain has no oxygen. <gasps> so the porter slash Sherpa grabs their knife. They cut through their own tent <gasps> and, like, dig themselves out of the snow. They bust through. They drag all of these climbers out. And Junko has to be pulled out by her ankles. <gasps> she couldn't walk for three days. Three days? Three, her brain had so little oxygen. Couldn't walk for three days. Crazy. I can't. My hands are covering my face. I can't even look at you. That's insane. I know. The doctors at base <sighs> camp are insisting they turn around, but Junko refused. Ah! Uh! When they continue to ascend, the porters are struggling with altitude sickness. They can't carry oxygen tanks for everyone. So everybody has to sit and they have to decide which woman is going to summit the mountain. Mm. So the team stops and after much discussion, they decide that Junko will continue the climb. So Junko reaches the south summit and she discovers this narrow icy ridge that's like flattened and there's a 15,000 foot drop on each side and it's covered in ice. And she's like, I've read every book about Mount Everest. I'm on the Edmund Hillary path. There are so many men that have done this. Nobody has ever talked about this. Kind of pissed that I didn't prepare for this. Uh, so she has to, like, crawl up <gasps> sideways with her body straddling this ridge. Uh, and she says, I've never felt more tense in my life. I felt all of my hair standing up on end. Uh, as she crawled to the summit of the mountain on her hands and knees. She gets up to the top. There's a flat area the size of a yoga mat on top of Mount Everest, and she buries a thermos of coffee to wake the resonant mountain goddess. Oh, my God. So cool. <laughs> and she didn't know it at the time, but when she reached the summit, there was a Chinese expedition on the other side, including women, and she just happened to to get there first <gasps> oh my god <laughs> junko became an immediate sensation the media loved talking about how this four foot nine so small woman got to the top of mount everest they held a parade in her honor she has cheering supporters at the airport letters from the king of nepal and the japanese government but she's super uncomfortable with fame and says i'm actually the 36th person to get to the top of Mount Everest, <laughs> which is why this is called the Everest 36. Because oh, that's what she wanted. I'm not the first, <laughs> which actually I'm a super fucking idiot because I should just accept thanks. And this is what I think Junko should have done. Just accept your accolades. Be proud of yourself. So just like cars. I Honestly, <laughs> I so I won uh, a 5K in Las Vegas and never told anybody about it. You know, I know, but, it was but I still <laughs> am blown away every time I hear it. <laughs> and because number one, it's hot as fuck there. It's and and I had to go up and down steps on the fucking boulevard. Hold on. So Vegas you was this an urban 5K? Yes, it was down the strip, but the strip 
Has Does the strip have stairs? Katie, I don't know what okay, Las Vegas is. Okay, for anybody is. who's been to Vegas, you they have created stairs over every um four-way crosswalk oh, for cars. because there's so many people on the strip. So literally every block you have to go up over down. <laughs> up what? over down. I'm not fucking with you. That is how Vegas is. That sounds horrible and I never want to be there. Uh, you <laughs> should want to be there. It's great, but also horrible at the same time. But anyway, I'm going up and down steps winning this 5K. But later that evening, I was drunk as hell and the CEO <laughs> the CEO of Producers Business was like, I heard you won today's 5K and you had on like our business logo. Like, excellent. And I was like, cool, but I came in seventh. Because there were six men that won in front of me. And I just, I hate it yeah. when people do that. And I know it's stupid because I actually have won a 5K before. Oh, all out. One. Yeah. All yeah. out won the like, very first There were other finish. boys there and we were all yeah. laymen. But I did win. Yeah. And that felt good. Yeah. But this was like, shouldn't have said that. Should have just been like, thank you, sir, Should've, for your yeah. accolades. Sometimes, I don't know. I don't know what's the right <laughs> thing. Everybody tell me what's the right thing to do. I don't know. Anyway. So she hated this media attention. It just wasn't good for her. She was having her son. She was just like, you know how I can get around not having to do interviews and things for the media? I'm just going to go and keep climbing. So listen for a pattern here. She decides her group is next going to go to Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, Africa. And then after that, they're going to go to... Aconagua in Argentina, South America, and then they decide to go to Denali in Alaska, North America, and then to Mount Elbrus in Russia, Europe, and then Mount Vincent in Antarctica, and then um, Punka Java in Oceania. I'm going to be honest, literally didn't even know that that many like mountains to summit existed. Well, she became the first woman to summit the highest mountain on every continent. What? Yeah. That's what she did. Instead <laughs> of hanging out after Mount Everest, she decided I'm going to go to every fucking continent and go to their highest mountain. And that's the top seven. And that's the seven peak challenge. And she did it. Wow. I'm sorry. Was she the first person or the first? First woman. First woman. First okay. woman. That's to ever do that. Insane. Yeah. Um. So then her next climbing goal after that. <laughs> Was to go to the highest peak in every country. There's about 200 of them. Oh, my God. So well, I'm sure everything feels like a piece of cake by the time you summited that yeah, many mountains. That's what it's producer like, said. Okay. He was like, oh, what are you walking well, up a hill? Again, it's <laughs> Yes, it is difficult in every circumstance. <laughs> but, like, really, is the highest peak in Kansas that tall? Well, Denali is North America. She did that. Okay, so did that. <laughs> but like, what about Vatican City? <laughs> What's in there? <laughs> I walked into the Sistine Chapel and looked you at You have it. to do the highest point in D.C. I know it's not a state. Is it really part of the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> District? Uh, they only get like, well, they can kind of vote during elections. Okay. It's like I went to the top of U Street. <laughs> so... In 2000, beyond all of this climbing goal, she decides I'm going to go back to school because when when I've been climbing, what I've realized is that tourism is destroying the environment yes. and it's destroying these mountains 
and I want to fix it. So her thesis is specifically about ways to burn climber waste on mountains and like setting up incubators to do that. And also like very much so in the Himalayas. And that's why like places like Easter Island, they only let in a certain number of people a year. Like you, it's like once we've reached 2000 people a year, you can't come because we've got these big, crazy men head statues and we're just not going to let you destroy our island. What a great idea. It, uh, is it not? <laughs> it's a great idea. So again, just like such a fantastic choice of like, yes, could we make like more money by letting literally anyone and everyone come? Yes. But like this thing is more important than that. Right. And I'd like to invest in the future of Easter Island, not the present. Exactly. And that's what she's saying. I want to invest in the future of these mountains. And the more that people can climb and are able to climb and have money to climb, the more shit is going to be left on these mountains and destroy them ultimately. So we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Then she starts writing books about climbing adventures. And then she becomes the director of the Himalaya Adventure Trust in Japan. And then in 2003, there's a celebration in Nepal that she and Sir Edmund Hillary were awarded there. By Junka's 70th birthday, she had climbed the highest peaks in 57 countries and authored seven books. But in 2012, she was diagnosed with stomach cancer. <gasps> and that would not stop her. Every summer, she took high school students to summit Mount Fuji in Japan, especially kids that were living in poverty like her so that they could see and have a similar experience that she had at 10 years old. And this happened especially after 2011 when we had the terrible earthquake and tsunami in her hometown. By age 76, she had scaled the highest peaks in 76 countries. Mm. July 2016, she could only make it halfway up Mount Fuji with the high school students, but she stayed and cheered them on. By October 2016, Junko had succumbed to stomach cancer and died in a hospital near Tokyo. She was 77 years old. And when asked why she kept going, she said, it's because I love mountains. I love to go where I've never been before. She has had an asteroid named after her. She's had a Google Doodle. There's a mountain range on Pluto named after her. And as of January 2021, 635 different women have reached the summit of Mount Everest. <laughs> and that's Junko. That was great. And now she has a cocktail named after her. Uh, I know. I just. Wow. What a great person and like a good story. And like for such to like a conservative culture to just be like out and about and like ready to go. I think yeah. both of that is true. It's probably true with both of our women. So we should probably yeah. just talk about it together. <laughs> In a little segment we like to call <laughs> just the two of us. So let's start with the conservativeness because 1920s. America with the temperance movement like mm -hmm. I know we like to think of the roaring 20s but the roaring 20s was in direct opposition to Victorian society that had pressed on from the 1800s oh, yeah. into the earliest 20th century right and I feel like the Japanese culture was also at that time very conservative and both of these women were like a Busting from the seams, like ripping, like let me out. Yeah. Well, and I, I put forging a new path because yeah. I think that's both of them. They were both trying to do. 
I mean, I think about Junko doing that, not only literally physically by forging a new path up mountains, but by telling other women, we don't have to just stay silent about the things that we are experiencing. Like she's like, if you are going to survive on this mountain and survive in the world, you need to tell me exactly what you're feeling. Because if I don't know that your toes are falling off, I won't know to like get you an extra pair of fucking boots or whatever, you know? And it's like, I feel like Alice did that for like female detectives. She's like, yeah, like I am going to be like, I'm going to forge you a new path. And like, you don't have to take the exact one, but like, I'm going to be so insane in this role that like, you can just kind of fit in behind me. <laughs> well, and I also think like Alice did that just for women in Chicago in general, Yeah, because it, it seemed to me like one of the reasons and probably to their credit that the male police force was putting female cops over women places is because they didn't get women. And I don't yeah. think they were doing it for a just cause. No, I no, think no, no, they no. were doing it for no reason. But I also think it's true yeah. that Alice was like seeing kids and trying to find out the root cause. Yeah. And she was seeing other women um, and sex workers and people in situations and trying to see why is this happening, but also what's actually happening, which exactly. is a really brave thing and a hard thing to do. No, it absolutely is. It's like just her whole mission of like, let's look at the bigger picture. And I feel like Junko did that with like, I mean, just these huge mountains of like, let's look at the bigger picture and let's see like, why aren't women climbing them more? Oh, it's because they don't feel welcome in these spaces. Mm. So let's get in here and figure out the problem and then figure out a way that more people can get involved. And she's like, you know, like I feel like Alice went and she's like, these kids aren't just stealing on their own. Like they're stealing either like because their families are in poverty and they need the money or because someone like coerced them into it or whatever. She's like, there's more of a story here. And like, let's explore that. And like, I feel like Junko did that until the end. She was like, yes, these mountains are here, but what's the story behind them? How can we preserve them for the long run? I agree. And I think that both Alice and Junko had this like amazing ability to be like, I'm married. Mm -hmm. I have these children, yeah. but I'm also living this life. Alice was very high society. Junko was very much living in poverty. And then they kind of meet in the middle of this middle class world where you can have a partner and you can have a family and it isn't your sole reason for existence. Yeah. And I am all about kids. Like I feel guilty the moment I walk out the door in the morning and mm. I know most moms or parents in general, dads do it as well, feel that way. But there is a life outside of those children yeah. and they're watching you. And that's what we learned from yeah. Alice's like grandson or whatever that, or nephew they're watching you absolutely and that's the whole thing is that like both of these women figured out the thing that they were good at which is all i ever want to do um you know like this uh, <laughs> oh, yay but you know alice was like i am good at being a detective i can because i'm not solely focused on like quote unquote putting bad guys away she's like i can actually look at the bigger picture and like find out that like that girl died because someone was fucking greedy and like maybe someone else wouldn't have figured that out because they're like okay great 
that girl's a sex worker because she's just a single woman in an apartment. And That's it's straight like, up forensics. Yes, exactly. And then it's like, I just feel like Jinko's like, oh, I didn't know what I was supposed to do until I started climbing mountains. And like, that is what I am supposed to do. And like, they both just had such an extreme focus, which I think is fascinating because I feel like that's kind of frankly a rare thing to like really find like one particular focus Mm -hmm. and I feel like both of them just took it and ran with it for sure but then when they both got famous had very different reactions oh yeah (laughs) Junko was like nope you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go keep doing the thing I like and I really don't want to be here right now right exactly because she was like you know what like yes like I did it but like I'm just gonna keep doing it you know because I actually don't want to like be out there and like have all this media attention whereas Alice absolutely thrived on it and I think took advantage of it you know what I'm saying I feel like she was like this is how you get young girls to know that they could also be a detective oh and I think that both decisions are appropriate absolutely because sometimes you have to be bold and sometimes you just have to like be quiet and listen and I think knowing when to do each thing is really hard to figure out but And it's also like so cultural because I sometimes think in certain cultures and certain time periods, your actions speak for yourself. Yeah. Like Junko literally went to the highest place on earth, which Mm -hmm. is a place that only what four digits worth of people have been there. It's not, it's not a lot, not a lot, not a lot. Um, and, and I think that she knew that her actions were that big. Yeah. Whereas with Alice, it was like, I'm a detective. There's a thousand million detectives, but I am a good fucking detective regardless of my gender. Right. So even if it was as simple as like, yeah, this lady who sells tamales was mad about these guys selling sandwiches. I'm going to make that as much of a news story (laughs) as like the time where like I solved this like really intricate murder. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like she, I think she treated both the same as like, I am doing all the work and like, yeah, because I am bold and brash, you're going to see like the little cases and also the big cases because I'm going to make a spectacle of it. I'm going to change it up. And I also feel like there's this weird thing of like, I feel like a lot of, uh, it's like a thing where like women feel that they need to wait for permission Mm. to do things. Right. And I feel like that was, it's like a concrete thing with Junko and like, you literally have to have permits and like, yes, that is for like anyone's safety. You cannot go. You literally cannot go because like you could die because it is really fucking dangerous. But like, I feel like there is such a thing of like needing a permission and she is telling them like, I am ready. And like, they're being like a sexist bias and like, no, your group of women. No, you're not. And then there is this permission among like the first couple of female police officers who are like, no, like I am ready to do this. I am committed. Like there's a story I didn't really get into, but like, you know, when like the police women are like getting like sworn in or whatever, this like male officer like threw in like a little, like a, like a mouse, like to like scare them. And they were just like, what Why? the fuck? Why? We're not elephants at a circus. Right. Like he wanted them to like scream and run and like see like women shouldn't be on the police force. And they're just like, fuck off. It's like a mouse. it's a, 
It's mouse. Yes. Like there will probably be some around in the city because we work in fucking Chicago. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like this whole thing of like, there are people like, I just think that women are made to seek permission too much. And I like that they both like kind of challenge that in different ways of like, yes, I am going to go through your rules and like, because like permission is for my safety, but like, I feel like Alice like took this by storm and was like, you know what? No, I'm going to, I am going to carry like a weapon. I'm going to do right. this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a rest because like, I am good at this. Like I, that was very long winded and I don't know if it actually no, it does circumvented make sense. To anything. <laughs> well, because I think they, they both went about getting permission and they both went about living their lives mm-hmm. and doing their thing, the thing they loved. And it was great. And when it came down to it, they both, succumb to their bodies yeah. like and we did a lot of we've done a lot of stories about women who live into their 90s and it's like incredible that they've made it that far and wow 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 but at some point both of these women and it was alice when they told her to like step back and be like a just beat cop and with junko it was like she's made it halfway up mount fuji and she's like i can't walk this anymore yeah they were both just like it's okay yeah and it sucks and i'm sure they were not pleased about it but they knew that in Junko's case cancer and in Alice's case diabetes that they were done their journey and that's a very scary thing to know about yourself and then to like exist in that for as long as they both did like it was years that both of them were like I'm done with the thing I love I also hope that they both were alive at least long enough to know they made minimal impact when they actually made massive impact right because they both left such a legacy of more women following in their footsteps just accomplishment just a legacy (laughs) of accomplishment literally just like some you know like you needed someone to do it first and uh, I just think that they both led such a legacy and like female mountain climbers being like okay like I can literally do one of the hardest things on planet or climb Mount Everest. I can. <laughs> or for like, you know, like young women be like, you know what? I can be a detective and solve mysteries and like be like Alice Clement or Nancy Drew or mm-hmm. Mariska Hargitay. Har- Har- you know, like whatever. It's like, I can do that because there is a path forged for me. And I love mm. that they both left more women than they started off with. Yeah. Mm. Leave a trail of breadcrumbs. <laughs> Other people got to follow it. You got to leave them. All right. You ready to toast? Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I today would like to toast every woman who looked up and said, I can jump that high. I just. Yeah. I just love that. Yeah. I just. And I think that's what Junko did. Yeah. I can jump that high. Mm. And she went for it. She did it. Cheers Cheers. to Junko. All right. I, today, am going to toast show Bodie women. I love that Alice made a spectacle of her detective work. Because if she hadn't been like an absolute lunatic about making these dramatic arrests and having reporters follow her and write the stories and get quotes from her 
other women may, may not have known that female detectives existed and they wouldn't know that they could also dream of being that one day. So I just want to toast Alice and Alice. women who say some shit. To you, my girl. <laughs> All right, Ellie. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So this is really dumb. So we did Katniss Everdeen several weeks back um, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But as I think everybody who listens knows, even though our kids are older, producer and I read a chapter of a book every night to our kids. Mm-hmm. And we've done it ever since they were little. Um, and we just all snuggle up in our our bed with our puppy and we just read a book. <laughs> it's so dumb, but we love it. Love and um, we recently started the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. We finished Dr. Doolittle and we we're like, wow, that was terrible. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is just like the original book. Yeah. 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 So I was like, OK, let's like zhuzh it up. So we did. I was like, let's just start the Hunger Games. And he was mm-hmm. like, do you think they're ready? And I was like, yes, they're absolutely ready. So we we started it. And I just, every chapter that finishes, the girls are like, let's read another one. Oh, Every single one. YA novels are full of cliffhangers. It is so <laughs> good. Yeah. It's so they're good. They're very good books. And I, I have even forgot because I, I've read them mm-hmm. once, maybe twice, all the way through. And I just like... I'm sitting there and I'm not like looking through my phone and like, like I usually do. I'm like, Oh my God, PETA. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, wait, wait. The the first chapter, they're like, I think Gail's going to go in the hunger games. (laughs) You're so weird seeing it through like little eyes. Like they've never never seen seen it before. And then he doesn't go in and they're like, I'm like, but you haven't met any other characters yet. How can you think? That was the thing. Like last week when I was here, you guys had just started, and they're like, I love Katniss's friend from high school. She's my favorite character. I'm like, we'll get ready to say goodbye. You will never, never hear from see her. Madge like, again. Come on. They're like, I except, love Madge. I'm except like, for the pin you give her. Okay. She gave her that like, she wears everywhere. Um, but you know, so. it's like someone that like really isn't like a huge character for the remainder of the books that like they love. And I'm like, wow, I forgot that like Madge was a really big part of the first couple right. chapters. Doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> so it's just, it was very fun. It's been very fun and we're just having a blast. So oh, I love that. If you haven't read the hunger games, I heavily suggest it. Even if you've seen the movies or if you have read them and it was a while back, just a little reread, okay. even just the first one, the first one's the best one. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> okay. What do you got? This past week, I, so this is something I've been debating on for a while. I know that I should floss my teeth, but I'm really, really bad at it because I hate doing it. I love flossing. I got a water flosser. A Do water pick, a water pick. A water pick. I love it so much. How much do you splash yourself in the face? None. What? Because I watched a YouTube video on how to do it properly before I bought it. You literally just have to keep your mouth closed. <laughs> so, okay, here's my thing. I started the back gums, do half of my front teeth, keep my mouth closed. I got a water pick. That is cordless. Okay. On and off, on and off. Turn it off, spit. Other half, spit. So you do it four times, you know? Right. Half, 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 half. Spit in between each mm-hmm. quarter. Mm-hmm. Keep your mouth closed. How do you do the inside of your teeth? Same thing. Keep my mouth closed. Oh my God. All right. I love it so much. It's unbelievable. Flossing has never been so fun. 
I hope it's like, and everything says that it does as good of a job. No, I've had my dentist tell me to get a water pick because I, I actually floss and they're like, I think you could use a water pick. Allie, I love it so much. I got it at Target for $40. Stop. I did. All right. And Maybe it's cordless it. and it's fantastic. And it comes with two different heads because I was like, I need a little bit more pressure for my pick. So I put on the second head and okay. I got a little bit more pressure. Got it. I truly love it. And I love that it's cordless. And I love that the amount of water that it takes in the chamber, you just use that. And then you're like, okay, great. I'm done now. Or I could fill it up again and do it again. Oh, perfect. Allie, it's perfect. I love my water pick. I've heard it's great. I'm so scared of it. Okay, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try. You feel like you've just been to the dentist every time, but in a good way. Mm. Four out of five dentists. Four out of five dentists. Two trident. Say use a water pick. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I honestly, like, I... I really love it. I really do. Good. So just keep your mouth closed when you're doing it. Okay. So you don't splash your face. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Got it. Um, got it, got it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for us. So if you're not going to use a water pick, um, why don't you just rate and review us? Um, um, and if you are <laughs> going to use a water pick, also rate and review us. Yeah. Everyone can rate and review us if you have the time and the space and the energy and the love for us. That and would be great. And then find us everywhere else. Please do. LinkedIn. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter. We're at everywhere. Hurst probably, the rocks. probably soon to be TikTok because producers pressuring me. I know. Well, I did think we should probably start making TikTok videos of us shaking our cocktails. cocktails. Yeah, I've been watching. So <sighs> TikTok producers. I mean, I love it. The reels on Instagram are the only thing I know. I don't have TikTok. I the app. Well, I I have the TikTok app because he said that you have to consume 10 hours of it before you know how to produce it. 10 hours. Yeah. You just have to like scroll through it and see like what people make and what people like and what yeah. producers like King social media. But only on LinkedIn. So what the fuck am I listening to him for? Yeah, anyway, right. maybe eventually on TikTok you'll find us. If you want us to get a TikTok, let us know. I'm g- I if mean, there's enough see- community support. We'll do it. I mean, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> no, it's all on you. It's all on you guys. <laughs> find us. Tell us. All right. We'll see you later. We we'll love you. Later. You're we love great. You. And we want you to never forget everything. I want you to never forget that well-behaved women always put their chairs in. Yes, they do. And they really make history. Bye-bye. Bye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye